Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first epistle of John chapter 1. That's our passage today, 1 John chapter 1. Today we begin a series of messages that will take us through all of John's epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, chapter by chapter. And the key concept for this morning is this, the truth will change your life for the better. The truth will change your life for the better. First John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1 in just a moment, but while you find that passage, let me ask you this question by show of hands. How many of you have ever used or heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid? Have you heard that phrase? Or something close to that, he's drinking the Kool-Aid, something like that. That has entered into our usage in the English language for somebody who's buying into something that is false or misleading or dangerous. But that expression was actually birthed in an experience in Guyana, southern South America in 1978 when Jim Jones and his followers committed murder-suicide. In one afternoon, 918 people died from drinking poisonous Kool-Aid at the direction of their leader, Jim Jones. And since then, the world has known of Jim Jones as this false teacher, their group, the People's Temple, a dangerous cult. But it strikes me that as you look at the life of Jim Jones, he started as an ordained minister in the Disciples of Christ denomination. At one point, it seemed that everything was fine. He seemed orthodox, but over time, his teaching and his life strayed from the Word of God and strayed from the truth of God. It became more and more bizarre until pretty soon he had rejected Christianity altogether in favor of what I'll call a designer religion of his own making. Now that kind of sets the stage for what we're going to be reading in 1 John particularly. Because this is a letter from an aged pastor and apostle to a group of people that he loves and he has influenced in the Lord, but he's concerned as he hears what's going on in their fellowship. He's concerned that they're beginning possibly to drink the wrong Kool-Aid, to be influenced by false teaching. The writer is the Apostle John. The year is about A.D. 90, and by this time, the Apostle John is an elderly man. He has already written his gospel, 
That's already been, been produced. And now, near the end of his life, he writes these three letters that we'll look at over the next few weeks. We're not exactly sure who the recipients of these letters were. Uh, we, there's no city that's named particularly, but we believe that these letters were written to the churches in western Turkey in or around the city of Ephesus. We think that because that's where John spent the final period of his life. He lived in, uh, in uh, Ephesus for some time after he fled Jerusalem in A.D. 70 when the Romans destroyed the city. Now he writes these people that he has had influence with, that he has come to know and come to love. He writes them because they're becoming influenced by a false teaching. Now, this false teaching doesn't yet in A.D. 90 have a name, but it will soon have a name. We call it Gnosticism today. And the label Gnosticism, even though it wasn't yet being used, the foundational concepts of that false system of thought are already out there. And that idea, the Gnostic idea, is based on an already existing philosophy. The philosophy that teaches that the physical world is inherently evil and the spiritual world, that which is spiritual, is good. We call that philosophy dualism. And based on that idea, Gnostics took that idea and they ran with it. And it brought them to a place where they began to teach, well, God, the supreme God, would never create anything physical because physical things are bad. So they looked at the Old Testament and they said, well, there must be a greater God above and beyond the God of the Old Testament who created all that there is. And we alone, we have insight into His existence and into His reality. That was one of the ramifications of their idea. Another one was since God never has anything to do with that which is physical, certainly God would not come in the flesh and be a human being. And so they denied that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God come in the flesh. Either He was certainly not God or certainly not human when He was among us. And these are the ideas that John has to battle as he writes this letter. You can pick it up as we read. So let's begin in verse 1. You follow along with me. It says this, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John begins by, in a sense, establishing the basics. And he says, let's begin with the essentials of the faith. It is essential that you know that Jesus Christ was God the Son come in the flesh. 
Everything's be everything begins there. And if you don't accept that, he refers to him as the life. If you don't accept that the life was God the Son come in the flesh, we don't have what we call Christianity anymore. But there's a second issue that John is dealing with as he's facing this heresy. The second issue is the Gnostic teaching introduced something very subtle to the people who accepted it. And it was this subtle elitism, this idea that what we have is a higher knowledge. What we have is a deeper understanding. If you're a part of this group, then you're something special. You're not just a part of the other common spiritual dullards who can't understand this new thing that we understand. They're not able to comprehend it. But if you're one of us, you're able to comprehend it. And it plays on that part of human nature that wants to be special, that wants to be exceptional. I call it the, the cool kid mentality, right? We all want to be the cool kids, sitting at the cool kids' table at lunchtime. Somehow we never grow out of that. We never get past that. There is a spiritual elitism that is part of this, of this dangerous new thought. And so we have higher knowledge and uh, an elite people. But John will teach us through his epistles that the gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. That the kingdom of Jesus is open to all who believe, even with childlike faith. So we see John calling the, the church to love truth and to love others throughout his epistles. And that's what gives us the title of this series as we enter into it. There are some very practical implications that are dangerous for this false idea that is being put forth. And the most obvious one is it denies the incarnation, the miracle of God the Son come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And once the incarnation is, is, is denied, our hope for salvation crumbles. Jesus' death on the cross has no meaning if He's not fully God and fully man. If He's not man, He doesn't represent us. If He's not God, He can't defeat death. So salvation does not come by grace through faith any longer. Salvation comes through my own search for enlightenment in this line of thinking. And the heresy has implications for the way people live as well. And interestingly enough, over the course of time, we see those implications go into two extremes. On one extreme, the, the thinking is this, my body is bad. The physical part of me is evil, so I must punish my body. And so there were those who bought into this line of thinking, who lived very difficult lives, who, who, who punished their body, and, and, and they deprived themselves of anything that would feed the physical. And then on the other hand, the other extreme also existed. And that, that was fed by the idea that said, well, you know, the, the spiritual part of me has no contact with the physical, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. I can do whatever I want, and it's never going to touch the essence of who I am, the spiritual me. Now, that part is the, is the particular form of the heresy that John's going to be speaking against. But no matter what way you go, the point is clear for us. Ideas matter. The ideas that you hold to be true make a difference. They shape your understanding. They guide your behavior, and they can be dangerous. 
don't drink the Kool-Aid. So John wants to establish the theological basics. Here's what we must have agreement on. He says, the Christ of eternity came in the flesh. Verse 2, he called it the life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus Christ was God the Son come in human form. Now, even though Greek dualism no longer is a relevant philosophy in our world very much, that truth is still being denied, still being objected to, that Jesus Christ was God the Son in human form. Even though Jesus was clear, He said, I and the Father are one. He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. His claims to divinity was absolutely crystal clear. But many will push that away. They're very happy to see Jesus as a nice guy, very happy to see Jesus as a good teacher and a moral leader, but reject the idea that He's God in the flesh. Because if that's true, then all people are responsible to this one person. If God became a man in Jesus Christ, then we must measure every idea and every activity based on Jesus. And that is exactly where we stand. I once had a conversation with an individual who came to talk to me uh, about Christianity, about the faith. He evidently had attended Quail a couple of times, and he made an appointment, came into my study, and he started the conversation this way. He said, I want you to know that I consider myself a Christian. I said, great. And then he began to describe what he believed. And I found out that what he believed and what he didn't believe are very different than what Jesus believed and what He didn't believe. For instance, He didn't believe in Satan, even though Jesus believed in Satan. He didn't believe in hell, even though Jesus believed in hell. He liked Jesus very much in terms of how much He knew about Him, but He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He didn't believe in the resurrection. He thought that was a myth, and when I asked Him to explain that, He said, well, I think He just kind of lives on in my heart. He rejected the miracles, and, 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 and he was pretty open to the fact that anybody who's sincere about whatever they believe, even if it's completely contradictory to what Jesus taught, can have access to God the Father without any reference to Christ. And finally, after he explained all this, he said to me, well, what do you think? <laughs> I said, well, here's what I think. What you're describing to me is not Christianity. No matter how much you want to put that label to it, what you have done is you have created your own private designer religion. And I didn't say this, but I will tell you, that is just what Jim Jones did. And that's what many are doing all around us. You see, you don't get to pick and choose the pieces of the faith you like. You don't get to edit or rewrite what God says about Himself. When we do that, and many try, we inevitably write a religion in our own image, not in the image of God, and that is the essence of heresy. John wants to nail it down. The life has come to us. We have seen. We've been with Him. Secondly, he wants to nail down, we have fellowship with God only through Christ. He is the way of life the way that we have salvation and hope, and the way that we find joy. Look at verse 4. He says, we write this to make our joy 
complete. That's the goal that he has for himself and his readers when he says our joy. He's probably including not only, he's not only saying my joy, but all of our joy. This is where we will find the joyful life, and that is understanding rightly who Jesus is and what he says about what he's done. This we write to make our joy complete. What's striking about that to me is how absolutely opposite John's tactic is than what we see today. In other words, he says, in order to get our joy to be complete, we have to nail down the theological basics and be very clear. We have to understand rightly the truth. But that's opposite of what we see around us today. What we see around us today is the idea that says, in order to keep everybody happy, to make everybody joyful, we have to avoid being definite on all costs. Somebody has taught us somehow be as vague as possible. And when you're as vague as possible, then the most people will be happy with you. That's not John's prescription. He says, no, that's the way you miss joy. Joy is not available to you that way, but rather nail down the basics, stick to the basics, and there you will find the joy that God has for you. This brings us to a third essential in John's teaching. He says, true belief will change your life for the better, built off that reality. Look at verse 5. Let's read on. It says, this is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin." This is what we are called to do. Walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. That is the life that God wants for you. And he starts by saying, God is light. What does that mean? It means God is pure. It means God is the source of purity, the source of truth. It means if we stray away from what God has clearly told us, it is not greater enlightenment. It is darkness, even though every new teaching that comes along says, listen, we, had, we add to the light. We have new thought, new light. It's actually darkness. And God just doesn't just give light. He says He is light. He is in essence light, not hazy, not insufficient. In Him there is no darkness. There are no shadows. Nothing is hidden. And John, John is using that phrase. It's a phrase that he's already used. Back when he wrote the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, he says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The point is, it comes easy for us to stay in the darkness. It comes natural for us to stay and protect the darkness that is within He's making the point that the lies of these false teachers, though they claim to be enlightened, are darkness themselves. And in the next few verses of chapter 1, he begins to specifically point out the lies in their teaching, point by point. There are three lies that he looks at. They are in the verses that start with the words, if we claim. They're in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. These are the lies that he wants to expose. Lie number one is this in verse 6. Sin in your life is no big deal. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live 
by the truth. Remember that rationale over on this side of the coin? The rationale that said, well, my body is just a blanket for my soul. My body, what I do with my body doesn't touch my soul. It doesn't affect the real me. Therefore, I can do whatever I want with my body. And John is saying, here's the truth. What you do with your body is either moving you towards the light or towards the darkness. And it matters. And it matters still today. Because once again around us, there is an idea that says, well, it doesn't really affect the real me in terms of the way that I live and the choices that I make with what I do with my body. And after all, it's God's job to forgive me anyway. So I don't really have to care about pure living. John would say, don't call that enlightenment. That is darkness. And you're moving towards the darkness. Sin, uh, lie number one is sin is no big deal. Lie number two is deep down we're all good anyway. That's found in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Once again, we hear this lie all around us in our culture. It works itself out this way. Since deep down we're all good, therefore, if something comes naturally to me, it must be good. If I can assign something to heredity or genes or my makeup, it must be morally acceptable. Why? This is the way that I am. And John is pointing out to us, listen, just because it comes naturally does not mean that it's good. Sin is a part of who we are. We are prone to sin. And the way to deal with it is not to relabel it, but rather to confess it and repent of it and move away from us. And you can move away. You can be different. Look what he says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It is possible in Jesus. But then there's lie number three. Lie number three in verse 10 is this. Well, all of this doesn't affect me. If we claim we have not sinned and make him out to be a, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our lives. Verse 10 pictures that person who hears this discussion and says, well, you know, maybe it's true, maybe things are bad when you sin and so forth, but listen, I'm not that bad. You know, I, I don't sin. I make mistakes, but I don't sin. They don't really rise to that kind of level. I mean, I'm not like this person over here. I'm not like this person over here. And compared to this train wreck over here, no way. I'm doing fine. I call this the sin of despicable comparison. I'm not that bad. And since I'm not that bad, I have nothing to worry about. And John says, that's a lie. Three lies, three false teachings that, all he, that he attacks them all. But he's not all gloom and doom. He wants them to see that the truth is possible and living in the light of God's love is possible. Just read on with me in, ver in chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is possible to walk in the light. You are called to righteous living. God knows that you're not perfect, but you need to be in process. Paul addresses it in Philippians 1. He says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Loving truth means 
to increasingly see things the way that God sees them. Hating things that God hates and loving the things that God loves. Loving truth means asking, what is the heavenly perspective? What would God's opinion be on this, this issue I'm facing or this thing in my life or my society? And getting the answer through the Word of God, not from my preferences. When we do that, we connect to the light. And when we connect to the light, we can determine what is true and what is valuable. So let me end with with this little image in your mind. Imagine with me that you're outside on the darkest night you can ever imagine, and you're sitting on a gravel pathway, okay? It is pitch black all around you, and you can feel the stones around you as you sit on that gravel pathway. And somebody has told you that some of what you're feeling are diamonds and some are simply gravel. In the dark, you can't tell the difference. But in the light, you can see what is truly valuable. And you can see what brings you joy. John writes, we write to make our joy complete. Joy is not found in convincing ourselves we don't have a problem. Joy is found in recognizing that even though we have a problem, God loves us enough to be the solution to our problems. And His truth is the solution. And as we walk with Him, we say, live for Him, learn from Him. And there is the place where we can find the joy He wants for us. Eternal hope and meaning here and now. Let's pray together. Thank You, Lord, that You love us even though we have problems. You don't. You recognize that we're not perfect yet. We're all in process. But, Lord, there will come a day when we see You in glory. There will come a day when we will rejoice in the perfection that You provide. And until that day, Lord, keep us true to Your Word. Keep us true to the light. Keep us close to the real message and help us to recognize that what sounds like new light is often darkness. Help us to cling to You, we pray. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is with us for a closing song. Would you stand together as we sing?
just a moment we're going to leave this sanctuary but if you're here and you know I, I I need prayer in my life there's an issue for which you need prayer a decision a concern something that's going on and you just know that that's a burden that you need to lift up to the Lord in prayer we want to help you do that we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table they will wait for you to slip forward and they will pray with and for you you don't have to carry your burden away but first let's all pray together Thank you, Heavenly Father. We vision in song this glory that awaits us. And right here, right now, Lord, we want to live well for you. Help us, we pray. Guide us in the things we say, the, the words we choose, the decisions that we make. Help us in everything we do to grow more and more towards the light so that we can represent you well. We'll give you glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.